to introduce yes. Mike Ricksecker, okay? Because <laughs> I like his work with the shadow people, which I find very fascinating. So guys, Mike Ricksecker is the author of the Amazon best-selling A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to the Shadow People. Also eight historic paranormal books and the esoteric tome, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. He has appeared on multiple television shows and programs as a paranormal historian, including Travel Channel's The Alaska Triangle, Discovery's Fright Club, Animal Planet's The Haunted, Bio Channel's My Ghost Story, and Ren TV's, that's Russia, Mysteries of Mankind. Mike also produces his own internet supernatural-based shows on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel and is the producer and director of the docuseries, The Shadow Dimension, available on several streaming platforms. On Tuesday and Wednesday nights, he hosts The Edge of the Rabbit Hole, which is, guys, where we are going now, The Edge of the Rabbit Hole, live stream show and the Connecting the Universe interactive class, respectively. Haunted Road Media is also his own paranormal and supernatural book publishing and video production company representing a number of paranormal authors, winning the award for excellent media in the paranormal field at the 219 Shockfest Film Festival. The Shockfest Film Festival, okay. Mike's historic paranormal articles have been published in the Baltimore Sun, Paranormal Underground Magazine, and he previously wrote an Oklahoma City paranormal column for examiner.com. His work has also been featured in the Oklahoman, the Frederick News Post, Marshall University's The Parthenon, and Louisiana State University's Civil War Book Review. He now hosts many of these articles along with informational videos and learning courses on the Connected Universe Portal website. So we are really happy. We're going to be showing his, his interview, pre-recorded interview. Neil's about to show it. There he is. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Ricksecker. Thank you for attending this segment on shadow entities. For those who are unfamiliar with my work, I'm an author, researcher, and filmmaker. I currently have 12 books to my credit. The most recent is Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. But the work we're going to be covering today is from my book, A Walk in the Shadows, which immediately preceded the Alaska Triangle book. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, I've uh, been involved some way, shape, or form in this field for about 30 years, been on several television shows like Ancient Aliens, The Alaska Triangle, The Haunted, uh, most recently here, uh, The Unexplained with William Shatner and several others. So I'm also going to be uh, on Gaia TV here very soon, so be on the lookout for that. So we have a lot of material to cover here, so I'm going to kind of forego the opening joke that I usually do and just dive right into this material on shadow entities, which people seem to have a lot of questions about. All right, who are the shadow entities? Big question that uh, everybody wants to know. I do want to direct people to my docu-series, The Shadow Dimension. I did mention I was a filmmaker, and The Shadow Dimension right now is streaming free on Tubi TV. We are in the process of producing a second season for that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Basically, it's a six-part docu-series that is a deep dive into this type of phenomenon. So give you a little bit of background about myself. I am an experiencer. And this goes all the way back to when I was about eight years old. 
I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this tall, dark, shadowy figure standing in the corner of my bedroom. This is an artist representation by Adam Tillery. He did a pretty good job with it. Um, it did not see, he, he kind of gave it a couple of eyes and a mouth, but I did not see any facial features like that. Uh, basically, when I saw this thing in my room, I thought there was an intruder in the house and it was about to kill me because that's about what you think at the age of eight years old. I'd seen enough television shows and movies that I figured I had enough time to gasp and then I was a goner. Fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale. But this thing did get physical with me. Uh, it actually approached my bed. I'm trying to scream. Nothing's coming out of my mouth. You know, it's just my mouth opens, nothing, because I'm just too terrified. It leaned over my bed, and I'm staring into this blank black face. There's no eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. It's just all black. And then it grabbed me by the wrists, crossed my arms across my body, and ran off down the hall, of all places, into a closet. By that point, I found my voice, found my legs, ran off screaming to my parents' bedroom about what had happened. They're nice parents are trying to calm me down, console me, trying to tell me that I had just had a bad dream. But I knew I hadn't had a bad dream. I had been awake for this whole thing when this thing appeared in the corner of my room. This was just a one-off. It was not a haunted house. It, this thing only appeared there in my room one time. And that was it. Five years later, however, we moved into a new house. This particular house here had been in Massachusetts. We moved into a new house in Ohio. This is actually not a photo of that house, but it's a pretty good representation of how my room was situated. And as I was unpacking boxes and putting things away, I kept seeing this translucent sort of shadow figure standing in my bedroom doorway. And anytime I turn and look, he would just take off and run actually toward my, my parents' bedroom. And this happened several times over the course of, you know, the first few days that we were there. I'd be unpacking boxes, putting things away, and there he was standing there. And like I said, it was very translucent, kind of had the form of a person. Uh, you could see, you know, a head and shoulders and then it kind of dissipated after a while. And anytime I turn and look, he would just take off. So very different than that first one that was very solid, had mass to it, got physical with me. So after a few days of this happening, I asked my mom about this, this thing that I was seeing. And she said that she had actually seen this too, which was great for me on a couple of levels. For one, it was affirmation that, okay, I'm not crazy. I am actually seeing this thing. And for two, because my mom was, she was kind of, I don't want to say nonchalant, but she didn't seem to be very alarmed about it because mom wasn't alarmed by it. I didn't find a reason to be alarmed either. So anything, anytime I saw this thing after that, uh, I called, I got playful with it. I called him Tom, like peeping Tom, because he'd be peeping in my room and, and he'd appear in the doorway and say, hi, Tom, and off he'd go. And that activity lasted in that house for about three to four months and then it subsided. So I just chalked it up to, there was something there that was at the house, was curious about who we were since we were the new family moving in deemed that we were okay and went about its business. So those are the first couple of significant experiences that I had growing up. Uh, had my first little paranormal investigation a couple of years after that when I was 15 years old. Had no idea at the time that you called it a paranormal investigation or anything like that. But that's, that's where I'm coming from with this research. So 
I, I like this quote as we get into this conversation. This is from Mark Anthony. It's a quote from the Shadow Dimension docuseries. When it comes to these different entities as we explore them throughout this presentation, he says, we may very well be dealing with several di different entities, several different species using a similar energetic modality in order for them to communicate or to visit what we call Earth. So absolutely love that. And also want to keep in mind a, a, a great, another quote that um, when it comes to the supernatural, there really is no, no such thing as supernatural. Everything that we're dealing with is actually quite natural. It doesn't happen as often as other things that we witness throughout our lives, but it is natural for these things to occur. So with this presentation, what we do is you know, we, we break down the different types of shadow entities that people witness, get into the history, uh, like ancient history, of where these things have been reported, where they come from, that sort of thing. Uh, we look at sleep paralysis and how that plays into it. And then we dive into who or what these things may actually be and what they want. So, all right, types of shadow entities. We're going to start with types of uh, humanoid figures. So that's kind of your basic uh, shadow person is a humanoid figure. It looks just like a person. Uh, this is essentially what I encountered when I was eight years old. This is you know, the thing that grabbed my arms, crossed my arms, across my body. Uh, people see these like I did, standing in the corner of a room, could be crossing a room. Um, but, you know, you got head, shoulders, you know, full torso, very, very solid. Uh, this is pretty much the most common type of shadow entity that people report. I have actually caught one on camera before. That was at the Campsville grade school in Campsville, Illinois. I know the picture is a little grainy, but um, basically it was a little... Uh, Canon Vixia HD camera, uh, no real additional lighting except uh, a flashlight uh, that we kind of had going and then the light coming in through the stage. This is actually at uh, Campsville Grade School, Campsville, Illinois, in the gym. And it's kind of hard to see, but back behind that shadow figure is a set of double doors that led to the boys' locker room and then down to the basement area. And in that investigation, uh, again, a, a kind of playful entity. So we'd hear noises back by those doors. We'd go over and we'd investigate by the doors. And then all of a sudden there were noises going on back by the bleachers, which is where this photo was taken from. So we'd go over back by the bleachers and then there'd be noises back by the doors again and back and forth and back and forth. This happened several times. So this capture here is from one of the times that we were panning the camera across the room and this is actually a still from a video. And you can actually see this thing walking a little bit across the room. So we did a height comparison later. And it seemed to be about the height of a 10 or 11-year-old child, which makes sense given that it was uh, a school. It wasn't operating as a school at that time. Um, and shortly thereafter, it was kind of just not in use when, when we were investigating there. And since that time, it's now been taken over by the local archaeological society. So we can't get back in there anymore, unfortunately. So those are humanoid figures. Then we have what people refer to as, uh, as the hat man or, uh, you know, hat figures, hat wearing, shadow entities, whatever you want to call them. 
these things seem to be a little bit more nasty and nefarious in nature. And we'll get into some of these different things, like the aspect of, you know, are they, are they humans? Are they evil? That sort of thing. Uh, the hat-wearing entities do seem to be a little bit more malevolent in nature. They come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. So uh, you know, this particular photo is kind of wearing the fedora, sometimes with or without the trench coat. In uh, this one here, he's got the top hat, sometimes with or without the cape. People report wide-brimmed hats. Uh, I've even heard one encounter with a, uh, a hat that looked like something out of Robin Hood. It was like an archer-style type hat, which is uh, very unusual. I've only heard that account once. So a lot of people kind of chalk these up to uh, to some sort of vampire, like an energy vampire. They'll come into your room, strike fear into you, and feed off of that fear. But that's not 100% of the case. So, uh, you know, I've heard other reports where they just kind of stand there and stare like a lot of other shadow entities. And while it may be creepy and intrusive, they're not always striking that fear. So a little bit of a mixed bag, but most times people report a more nefarious type of encounter with these things. So even a bigger mixed bag are the hooded figures. So this particular illustration, another uh, Adam Tillery illustration. Uh, this one is actually at an abbey, an abandoned abbey, <clears throat> excuse me, in Ireland. And with hooded figures, sometimes you get some of the more nefarious accounts, like being lifted up uh, from the end of the bed by the ankles and being raised up out of the bed. This particular case here at this abbey in Ireland, um, my friend Kat Gash was visiting. She was there with her sister. Kat was up inside the abbey. She was in the tower. Her sister was down below watching. And her sister kept seeing this dark, shadowy, hooded figure following Kat around the, the tower. Cat hadn't witnessed that while she was walking around, but she went to go down the stairs and actually started to fall. She was slipping down the stairs and somebody reached out and grabbed her and prevented her from falling. And it was this hooded figure. So you think hooded figure at an old abandoned abbey, it's probably one of the monks that, that used to be there. Another interesting encounter from a, uh, uh, from a woman in Illinois, and this kind of goes into the, um, well, I'll save that for the are they evil segment. We'll get into that. So we'll just cover types. Again, a lot of material here, so I know it seems like I'm kind of whipping through it, and that is on, on purpose. Okay, red-eyed entities. These also uh, are a bit more nefarious in nature. Uh, I have not yet witnessed the, uh, the red-eyed entity. I've seen a lot of these different shadow entities. Uh, not the red eyes, but I have been on a case with red eyes. Uh, it was the more um, the most malevolent case I have been on, which was actually featured for the television show The Haunted uh, about um, 10 or 11 years ago. And in that particular case, the, uh, the daughter of, she was an adult daughter of the household. She was experiencing this red-eyed entities that she kept seeing in her closet. So the name of the episode was called Monster in the Closet. This particular illustration is just looking in a bay window, and this is just a woman who, um, that's all it did was look in the window. But with this case in Edmond, Oklahoma, with Taliesin, 
um, it was terrorizing her, it was terrorizing the cat, other people in the household had seen it, there, were, there was other activity going on within the house. So we were called out to investigate to figure out what was going on. And um, you know, we did several investigations there. We had Carl Johnson come out, uh, who, you know, demonologist, and we did a full cleansing of the house that was actually you know, televised for that particular show. And we were able to drive that out. Um, but it was a really, really crazy night. We're not going to get into all the details of that particular night's beyond the scope of this conversation, but that was one of the more malevolent cases with shadow entity with red eyes, which kind of rolls into another experience that occurred there, which is with the mist. So this is more of an amorphous cloud-like type of shadow entity. So it just you know, it could uh, appear as smoke, could appear as a black cloud. In this particular incident, uh, this is when we were doing one of the initial investigations of that house that had the red-eyed entity. This is actually her bedroom. Her closet would actually be off to the right-hand side there. And what had happened with this particular incident is the cat, Jasmine, was getting kind of skittish. She was going a little store crazy. And she was moving about from the uh, living room into the dinette area into the kitchen and then finally off toward the bedroom area and i was tracking it and it kind of snuck behind me and went off toward the bedrooms and i continued to follow it and then she stopped dead in her tracks right by the door to the bedroom and then slinked around uh into the living room and got out of there but i saw why she stopped and that was because there was this black mist that was standing there uh, in front of the door. This is actually a deleted scene from the uh, from the television show. I'm going to go ahead and play it here as a video clip. The uh, I was able to get this from the uh, production company. Jasmine reacting is significant. What's up, baby? Here. Something's bothering her. She's nervous or something. Animals have a higher perception of the paranormal than we do as humans. She stopped like she saw something. We knew something was definitely there in the room with us. All of a sudden, she took off. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Jasmine bolted away from the doorway. There's a cat in the room. No, a cat didn't make it to the room. The cat, the cat went right here and stopped. All of a sudden, I saw this huge black mass. It was a massive black shadow. I was a bit startled just because of the size of it. And basically what ended up happening, I tried to take a photo of it, stupidly used a flash, and basically obliterated this black cloud that was hovering in the room. So it was starting to dissipate away. And I took the photo and then uh, you just saw like the last bit of it dissipate away when the flash had, had stopped. So the question I get asked a lot is, was that the red-eyed shadow entity that was trying to form up or maybe had formed and was dissipating away uh, into this cloud. Not really sure because uh, we never, the team uh, never actually saw the entity with red eyes. It was just really the family that had seen uh, the red-eyed shadow entity. But we did see, or at least I did, and the cat, uh, this black cloud-like mist. So then we have the wisp. And this is closer to what I saw uh, when I was 13 years old, the entity standing in my doorway because of how translucent it was, 
and you know it, it had like some form, uh, but it's also very very fast. Uh, you know, it's just you know a, a wisp of a shadow. Uh, they can be very tall, narrow, and that's kind of what I saw at another location called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. In this particular incident, uh, what was going on was we had uh, run a paranormal investigation at this restaurant. Uh, the restaurant had actually just closed down, uh, but the owners who were selling it and said, well, you know, you can come in and investigate because we've had a lot of stuff going on here. And we were just wrapping up. I decided to do a last photo sweep of the restaurant. And when I walked into the kitchen, there was just this very thin, narrow, translucent shadow that all of a sudden darted across the room and boom, banged into this side door here that you see in the photo. Now, this is just a flimsy metal door. Uh, it was, you know, for waiters and waitresses to carry large trays of food through, you could tap the thing and it would move. But what was interesting is when, you know, you heard the boom, bang of the door as this shadow crashed into it, but the door didn't move. So I have another clip here that I'm going to play. Uh, it's not a video clip. It's I used the still photo that you just saw there, uh, but I have the audio from that day because I was there. I wasn't taking video. I was trying to snap photos. So let me play this for you here real quick. You guys hear that? You guys, you guys hear that bang? Yeah. Yeah, I was back here in the kitchen. Yeah, I thought I saw a shadow move and I was gonna get my camera out to take a picture. And all of a sudden there was that bang. Yeah, for a moment there, I thought maybe they were messing with me. You know, I was like, okay, did they throw something at the door now? A couple of the people were out in the front restaurant area. A couple others were upstairs in the bar area. I even walked through that door, looked on the ground to see if they'd thrown something. There wasn't anything on the ground. Even if they had thrown something, like I said, it was a real flimsy metal door. And the door would have moved when that happened. I'll get into a little bit later what I think happened in that moment. I'll just tell you right now, I think it has more to do with interdimensional beings than you know, kind of your classic ghost or what have you. So then we have what we call the crawler. And this is just an image that I grabbed off of the internet. I don't know if this is supposed to be a real photo or if somebody Photoshopped it or what have you, but it's pretty darn close to a crawler type shadow entity that I witnessed at a location called uh, Black Bear Church. And this is out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. Did a lot of investigating out in Oklahoma because I lived there for a few years. and. It's uh, it's just out in the middle of nowhere. It's off of a couple of dirt roads. It's an abandoned church. There's no roof to it anymore. Uh, we've caught some interesting activity there. I, I am not an orb person. You know, most orbs that are caught on camera are dust uh, or moisture, but I uh, have a fantastic illuminated ball of light there in that particular photo, just trying to show that this is an active location. But where we saw this crawler was down in the basement area, which is the, the photo on the left-hand side toward the bottom. And what happened was this thing kind of slinked in through one of the windows and it started circling us and it got up on the ceiling. And at some point it hit the floor because one of these, uh, that, that green bottle that's there on the floor, that got kicked at some point. Uh, we heard it hit the railing. Our electronic equipment started buzzing. 
And so it was um, kind of a hair raising moment. The psychic medium that was with us at the time suggested, well, why don't we sing some hymns, say some prayers, that sort of thing, lighten the atmosphere, you know, kind of tap into the energy of this, this used to be a church, tap into that and try to drive this thing out. So we did that and it ended up slinking uh, right back at the window or out the window. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, what we saw was kind of this flurry of arms and legs or, you know, very long arms, very long legs. It was very, very fast and just, you know, was circling us really, really quickly. So those are kind of what we classify as the types of shadow entities. You know, humans, we try to categorize, compartmentalize, put everything into a nice little shoebox. That's really not always the case, but that's you know, kind of the best that we can do there. So let's talk a little bit about the history and where these things come from. How long have we been talking about shadow phenomena? Well, we can actually trace this all the way back into ancient Sumer and a quote unquote demon known as Alu. Now, this is not a uh, an illustration of Alu. This is just ancient Sumerian artwork. We don't have an illustration of Alu. We just have the stories. And Alu was known as a binding spirit. So what it would do is at night, it would hover over people and then people would you know, get the, the sleep paralysis is what would happen. We'll get into more sleep paralysis here in a little bit. Uh, but Alu, it did not have any facial features. You know, it didn't have, an, it didn't have not have eyes, did not have a nose, um, did not have a mouth. It also didn't have limbs. And again, it would hover over people. So you kind of have the beginnings here of what we typically uh, chalk up as shadow phenomena. Now, uh, in ancient Sumer, they would actually invoke a good demon to do battle with it, which is a little bit of a different concept than what we think of. They were actually called Udugs, which you can translate into the, the name demon, but it doesn't translate straight to demon. That's just kind of the closest word that we have for it. So you would invoke a good Udug to do battle against a bad Udug. And that was you know, kind of their uh, medicinal practice. So, um, so that's ancient Sumer. Now we can also find this in, uh, in ancient Egypt. So in ancient Egypt, they believed in seven different parts of the soul. And one of those parts of the soul was the Kabit. So at death, uh, most of the various parts of the soul would go off to the constellation of Orion. You can see the Bob birds here taking flight uh, to make their passage up to Orion. But the Ka and the Kabit would remain here on Earth. The, the Ka is the, uh, the animating force of the uh, uh, of the person, and it would eventually go off after spending some time here on Earth, and that's why in uh, in a lot of the ancient tombs you'll see these kind of like false doorways that are carved into the rock, and that was so that the uh, ka could exit through that door. Sometimes you'd even find a statue uh, of the person that was uh, that was within the tomb so that the Ka could actually inhabit it and, and take its form and supposedly be able to walk around uh, within the statue or use that as a vessel. And again, use the, the doorway uh, to go off to the constellation of Orion. But the shadow, the shadow would still stay here on earth. This is from the tomb of Arinifer at the Theban necropolis. And you see the shadow here is seen by the tomb while the Bob birds 
uh, leave. So that was their concept of, of the shadow. And we see that in other cultures as well. You have uh, you know, many different Native American cultures. Uh, they had a lot of different types of beliefs. So you can't just say Native Americans believe this because each tribe had their own system. Uh, but many of them did believe in uh, different parts of the soul, like ancient Egyptians. And you would have, depending on the tribe, a number of souls. So it could be two, three, five, what have you. For the Choctaw, which is my example, uh, they had two different parts of the soul. The Shalup, which at death would go off to the land of the ghosts, and then the Shalambish, the shadow, which would remain here on earth again to roam around. So we see again in another culture, this concept of the shadow. Then we have George Washington's vision. This one's just kind of fun. Um, it's controversial. People debate as to whether it really happened because the story was uh, printed actually not uh, far from the time of the Civil War, uh, which is long after the revolution. But you know, the story goes that uh, at Valley Forge, General Washington would be uh, visited by you know, this angelic woman. Some people have chalked it up to maybe it was uh, some sort of alien intelligence or, or something like that. You know, was it an angel? We don't know for sure. But what's interesting about this story, now she basically showed him the future of the United States. And... There was a giant map that was presented in front of him. And as he was uh, watching the history unfold, it would unfold onto the map. But there was an entity that was displaying all this on the map for him that would kind of roll back different uh, parts of the map and then he would see what was going on. And the entity that was doing that was actually a shadow entity. So again, we see in history the shadow is being used to, uh, you know, as in this particular instance, it's kind of almost more like a device, a storytelling device. If it's if it's not true, if it is true, well, then we have another actual uh, some sort of entity. So then we have the old hag. This is actually uh, very interesting to me because of how many different cultures we find this within. So this is the famous painting from Henry Fuseli uh, back in the 1780s, which is called The Nightmare. And you have the, in this particular case, instead of an old hag, it's a ghoul that's sitting on the woman's chest. But many times people report seeing a old woman, uh, you know, long stringy white hair, that sort of thing sitting on their chest or hovering above them and they experience the sleep paralysis. And then of course you have the, the mare uh, looking in here. But what I find fascinating about this is how so many cultures over thousands and thousands of years have essentially reported the same type of phenomena. They were, and many of them were not supposed to have had any connection whatsoever. Yet you have, um, well, let's see, Thailand, Phaiyam, witch riding. Uh, Vietnam, Bang Day, held down by shadow. Sri Lanka, Amukapai, ghost that forces one down. Turkey, Karabasan, the dark presser. 
uh, Ethiopia, Dukak, holds people down during sleep. I'm not going to read off all these, but you get the idea that all of these different cultures over thousands and thousands of years who are not supposed to have been connected to each other all reported the same type of phenomenon. And that is significant. So let's talk about sleep paralysis since we're on the uh, on the topic of old hag syndrome. So sleep paralysis, we actually skipped a slide here, but I will come back to it. I don't know why it got moved down there. I'll move it back up here before we get into sleep paralysis because it's another historic piece and it should have been right after George Washington, but for whatever reason, the slides didn't import correctly. So, all right, let's go ahead and uh, and discuss Madame de Esperance. So she is a uh, she herself is a controversial figure because she was a uh, physical medium during the spiritualism movement. Now, I'm not concerned about that part of her story. Uh, the part of her story that I want to focus on is the uh, shadow experiences that she had, which she actually uh, called shadow people. And that's a, it's a particular point for me because um, some people have tried to say that, you know, shadow people is a more recent term that, um, you know, just started getting talked about 20 years ago, but no, we've, we've had it throughout all of history in the actual term shadow people, uh, at least as far back as spiritualism movement with Madame de Esperance. Now, in her case, when she was little in the house that she grew up, she grew up in a haunted house and there were both uh, ghosts there, apparitions and shadow entities. Now she was afraid of the ghosts and she would actually run to the shadow people in her house, which were her friends, for protection. It, it seems a little backwards, but she was afraid of the ghosts. She ran to the shadows who were nicer. Now, when she grew up and got older, it kind of became the reverse. She you know, got married, moved into uh, a different house, and the shadow entities there weren't as nice, and she didn't like them as much. So really, that kind of adheres to that you know, not all shadows are the same. They all have their own unique personalities. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Okay. Coming back to uh, sleep paralysis. I wanted to finish the, the history part of it and that slide got misplaced for some reason. So, all right. Sleep paralysis. Um, so the medical community would like you to believe that sleep paralysis, uh, when this happens, or I should say, Strike that, reverse it. Uh, when people experience shadow phenomenon, that it is a byproduct of sleep paralysis, that it is a hallucination while we're sleeping, that we, that we wake up, we're still in a bit of a dream state, and the shadow figure that we're seeing is part of our dream. It's just a hallucination. So I have a couple of problems with all this. For one, I have had real sleep paralysis. It was not, it didn't have anything to do with a, with a shadow person when I had, uh, it's happened to me twice. Actually the reverse of the way most people experience it. Most people experience it, they wake up in the middle of the night and it doesn't even necessarily have to be in the middle of the night, but they wake up and their body is still asleep. It is a natural biological phenomenon. Your body will uh, paralyze you while you're sleeping so you don't act out your dreams throughout the middle of the night. 
not 100% foolproof because sometimes we kick our partner sometimes in bed, right? But for the most part, this is, this is the body's function. Paralyzes you while you're sleeping so you don't act out your dreams. I've had it the reverse way, which also does happen sometimes, in which my body was so exhausted that it fell asleep while my mind was still awake. And this happened to me twice in a work setting. One time when I was actually in the Air Force, when I was in the military, uh, and you do not want to get caught sleeping on the job while you're in the military. So that, you know, in itself was frightening. That was the first time that it happened to me. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, body falls asleep, my mind's awake. I can hear everything going on around me. And, you know, I'm starting to panic, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening? I can't move. Um, and everything was just dark. But I was cognizant of everything going on around me. What I finally figured out to get out of the situation was, okay, let me try to wiggle a toe. And I was able to wiggle a toe. All right, let me see if I can wiggle a couple of toes. Okay, okay. Let me see if I can wiggle my foot. Okay, I got the foot going. You know, and then like the lower part of my leg on up. And basically all the way up my body until I could finally wake up my mind. The second time it happened, uh, I was a little bit older. And since I'd already been through the situation before, I knew what to do. And so I wasn't as, as frightened that time. Um, but it can it can happen that way. Again, nothing going on with shadow phenomena. Um, also, many people experience these shadows in a completely non-sleeping situation. You know, we can be up walking around our house and all of a sudden we see a shadow dart across the, across the room or into another room. Uh, people have seen them, you know, out in the woods. Uh, people who do paranormal investigations see them you know, quite often at some of these different haunted locations. So uh, they are witnessed outside of a sleeping situation. Uh, of all the shadows that I have experienced in my life, only one was during a time that you could relate to sleep. And that was the very first one that I experienced that crossed my arms across my body. Uh, but I didn't experience sleep paralysis with that. Um, you know, I'd woken up in the middle of the night, sure. But, um, you know, my mouth opened. I tried to scream. Nothing came out because I was too frightened, but my mouth opened. Um, of course, the crossing of my arms, you know, my, my arms are moving there. And then when it ran off down the hall, I, would, I turned my head to watch it run. So I was moving, I wasn't paralyzed. So that's one problem that I have with uh, the medical community's assessment about these uh, shadow figures. The other part that I have, uh, problem that I have is that, well, we dream about a lot of different things while we sleep. If these are supposed to be hallucinations out of our dreams, then why don't we see things like, you know, airplanes or trains in our dreams. And we dream about those sometimes. So if this is a hallucination, why don't we see a shadow plane or a shadow train in our room? There may be trees or bushes in our dreams. Again, people don't wake up and see those things. I've had dreams of being on stage with Motley Crue and I've never woken up to, you know, 10,000 people in my room, the pyrotechnics going off and, you know, the drum kit and the guitars. And it would be a lot of fun. But I've never woken up to that. And as far as I know, neither is anybody else. <laughs> um, so what's actually happening here? Okay. What is going on here with this, with the sleep paralysis, with the shadow entities and, and what have you? Because a lot of people believe like, the shadows are causing the sleep paralysis and all that. And I think what's happening here are 
two different types of phenomenon that can happen at the same time. One, of course, is you know the shadow entity being present. The other, sleep paralysis, which is a real biological phenomenon. So real uh, shadow phenomenon, real biological phenomenon. Here's, here's what I think is going on. So we each have a toroidal field of energy that surrounds us. Now, those who have small children can relate to this. So child wakes up in the middle of the night, they come into the room and usually they tap you on the shoulder or shake you awake and say, hey, I had a bad dream or I need to use the bathroom or I need a glass of water, whatever it is. And like, okay, fine. And you go take care of it. Sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes they just stand there and stare at you. And my youngest son, Cameron, was notorious for this. He would just stand there at the edge of the bed and stare at me. And all of a sudden I'd wake up, oh my God, Cameron, what are you doing? Like, oh, I had a bad dream. I need a glass of water, whatever it is. Okay, fine. We'll go take care of it. You know, even though it's kind of creepy. But what woke me up? If he didn't touch me, why did I suddenly wake up? Again, it goes back to this toroidal field of energy. It extends out from us several feet. And this is basically you're feeling a person's energy. You're feeling their presence in the room. So when he came to the side of the bed, his field of energy crossed into mine and I could feel him. And so that is what woke me up. Now, these shadow entities also have their own field of energy. And what's waking us up is we sense them in the room. We feel that somebody else is in the room with us and we suddenly wake up. Boom. And we might be experiencing that sleep paralysis because that's a natural biological phenomenon. It happens sometimes when we wake up. And all of a sudden we notice there's this tall, dark figure standing across the room. We might not immediately go to, it's a shadow person. We might be thinking usually where we go to is there's somebody in the house. Somebody's broken in. We think intruder. And the adrenaline starts rushing. You know, we start getting afraid. What do I do? You know, mind starts racing sort of thing. Um, and you end up going, you know, falling down this rabbit hole because now you can't move. And this thing is there. Who or what is this? And so this is what I believe is happening. Two different phenomena happening at the same time. Shadow phenomena being a real supernatural uh, phenomena. And then the uh, the sleep paralysis was a real biological phenomenon. All right, moving on. What are these things? All right. I know this is a lot of material in a short period of time, but here we go. So many possibilities. This is another quote from the Shadow Dimension docu-series. Again, it's running free on Tubi TV. So this is from Mary Marshall, who's a researcher in psychic medium. She says, we do a disservice to ourselves in the field by trying to find out what is this? And then this is the answer. And this is the only answer. There's multiple answers. And I absolutely agree with that. There's no one single answer to what's a shadow person. And I guess ask that all the time. I do a lot of interviews and, uh, and what have you. And uh, I get asked all the time, okay, what is a shadow person? It's like, well, you know, do you have 
you know, in our presentations this is really like an hour and a half presentation, but do you have an hour? Um, or, you know, do you want to read a 300 page book, <laughs> which I have a walk into the shadows to kind of dive into all that? Because you know, there's no one answer. But let's get into the different possibilities of what these things could actually be. All right. Shadow entities as human spirits. Yes, some of these are just simply human spirits that cannot fully manifest as an apparition. And, you know, I have a caveat at the beginning of, of my book that, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind on any of, on any of this material. You know, as we continue to learn more and more and more, um, opinions change, or we find out new information that contradicts what we previously thought. And for years, um, because I was, you know, gave presentations on this topic for a long, long time. You know, I'd had my own experiences, of course, and I was writing the various books. And people would report some shadow cases as they thought it was, you know, the spirit of maybe it was a historical figure at a at a historic building. Some people, you know, thought it was a relative. My good friend Rob Guttrow, who's uh, known for uh, Pet, uh, spirit pet communication uh, has his books, pet, the Pets in the Afterlife series. Uh, he he related a story to me about his aunt who appeared to him as a shadow to uh, so that Rob could deliver a message to his mother for her. And you know, I trust Rob with my life. So I was like, okay, I finally started to concede a little bit that, you know, all right, fine. Some of these shadows are actually human spirits. I'd heard enough stories by now and you know i trust rob but for a long time i thought you know shadows are shadows human spirits are human spirits but i started hearing enough stories i was like all right fine they can be one and the same sometimes but then i finally saw it with my own eyes now i was at the mineral springs hotel in alton illinois it was this little girl and so we were uh we had run an event there uh we had our own paracon that we were doing for a couple of years and at the end of the one, we're doing paranormal investigation. We're up at the abandoned part of the hotel, the top floor. And we were investigating this one room that's known as Pearl's room, doing some EVP work there. And wasn't, we didn't really have much going on in there, but all of a sudden we started hearing these noises from down the hall. And I walk out there to have a look, I'm looking down the hall, and all of a sudden I see this black smoke start to billow up at the end of the hall and it's coming closer and it's coming closer and it started doing something very unusual it started creeping up the wall on the right hand side of the hall and creep back down and creep back up all the while it's coming closer and closer and finally one of those times that it creeped up the wall on the right hand side it actually morphed into the apparition of this little girl and by then everybody else had joined me there were five of us there we all saw her and we're trying to get her to come closer, come closer. And she actually stopped at this one doorway to this room where there had been reports for several years of a little girl spirit being within that room. And they had you know, some different trigger objects in there, like, you know, teddy bears and things like that. Um, you know, I had never seen or witnessed her before that. Uh, and I had investigated there several times, never really got much interaction in that room, but finally was seeing her for my own eyes. And she had morphed out of black shadow smoke. So this certainly uh, was kind of, you know, see it to believe it sort of moment. But some of these shadows are actually human spirits. 
there are many of these shadows that may be extraterrestrials. A lot of these encounters um, that people report as ET phenomena or and some people report as shadow phenomena are very similar, where you know the, the occurrence happens in the middle of the night. Uh, there's a sleep paralysis component to it. Uh, they may be poked or prodded or, you know, I had my arms crossed, although mine was not necessarily ET. I don't know if I'll time to cover it. Um, but a lot of these cases are very, very similar, the descriptions. But some people related to an extraterrestrial and others related to it was a shadow, even though most of the description is the same. Interesting story here uh, from, it's by Albert K. Binder. He wrote the book, uh, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. But prior to that, he had, uh, in 1952, he had um, formed the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Basically, it was during the big UFO flop, 1952. He spearheaded a lot of the research uh, during that time. And in the first year, the, uh, the organization grew big. It went international. Uh, and you got to think, this is the time in which, you know, there's no internet. Long distance calls are expensive. You know, that's, you know, back during the time where you, you if you wanted to call somebody long distance, you were calling after nine o'clock and some of you might remember that. So to build something global like that is difficult back then. But within a year, this was huge. You know, he had newsletters going out and all that. And all of a sudden, boom, he closed it down. And people wondered why. So finally, in the early 1960s, he released this book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, talking about what had happened. And essentially what happened was he came home one day from, uh, from work. He goes up into his bedroom and materializing through the wall were these three shadowy hat-wearing beings that had glowing eyes and smelled of sulfur. And this here is kind of uh, also his, this is his illustration uh, of, of who he saw. We saw three of them and they came in through the wall. They warned him off of his UFO research. They said, you need to stop now. And he did. Now, when he tells a story, he says they're extraterrestrials, that they were there in Antarctica, mining some different resources out of the water. They had a 15 year mission. And when they were done with their 15-year mission, he could go ahead and continue on with, with his UFO research, but they needed to be gone first, which is why in the 1960s, he finally wrote this book because he could tell the story. So he said they were extraterrestrials. I hear the story and I'm like, this is a shadow person story. I, I've heard about, you know, these hat-wearing shadows for, for years. Other people hear the story and they believe it's the men in black. So it's almost... Like, depending on what kind of lens you're looking at the story through, that's going to be who you interpret it as. So which is it? E.T., shadow person, men in black, are they all the same? So another interesting story here um, about uh, extraterrestrial possibilities. Um, this story is just kind of more recent to me, but I was watching a presentation by Grant Cameron, and... He related the story out of American Cosmic by Diana Pasolka. And within this, there was a, um, an individual who worked in the space shuttle program. 
And one day there was a general that came in looking for some different experiments to, to run on the space shuttle. They need some scientific experiments. And he said, well, you know, I actually have this, this one particular idea. And he was, he was shot down because he didn't have the required PhD. Uh, but he had some scientist friends of, of his that uh, you know, worked on the space shuttle program. And he got one of these guys to go ahead and, and submit this test, which they all thought was going to fail. It needed to be run in, in a, a zero-G environment or a zero-gravity environment. And uh, they said, well, you know, at least we could get a paper out of this, you know, be able to publish a paper. So they did it. And actually, the, the test worked. So they come back down, and they end up having this meeting in Washington, D.C. to find out, okay, you know, what's going on with this, this test? You know, it was successful. Okay. So another general comes storming in to this meeting that they're having and wants to know who in the world had this test performed. And everybody's uh, uh, pointing at Tim was his name. And, uh, you know, they want to know, where did you, where'd you get this idea? And he said, well, I got it from a memory. And that wasn't acceptable. Said, what do you mean from a memory? It's like, well, I, I, it was a memory. Okay. So they didn't buy that. They kind of let it go. And, uh, you know, soon after he, he left and took the findings from that experiment and created, basically created a company out of it. So that was the story as related in the book. Grant Cameron tracks this guy down, say, okay, what really, what do you mean by memory? That does not make any sense. And he's like, okay, look, here's what happened. I was visited in the middle of the night by a tall, dark hooded figure that appeared at the end of my bed. When I woke up the next morning, I had this idea in my head and could not get it out of my head. And so that is what he ended up proposing to the space shuttle program. So, you know, people wonder when it comes to extraterrestrials, are they benevolent? Are they malevolent? In this particular case, it seemed like those that you know, believe that they are trying to help mankind. This is one of those cases. Um, but there are ones that are malevolent too. So our shadow entities topas. Okay, so um, real quick with this story, I'm starting to run out of time here. So when it comes to tulpas, this is a the idea of the Buddhist thought form uh, that you can create a sentient being with the thoughts out of your mind. People will kind of relate this now to the story of, of Slenderman, which we know uh, had roots in fiction from a Photoshop contest, but many people now believe that this thing is actually taken form because so many people have put so much energy into it. So... Where um, where I go to with this particular story is, and there is another missing slide here. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, years ago, some of you may remember the old pulp novels by um, was Maxwell Grant was the was the pen name, the Shadow. You know, the Shadow knows. Walter B. Gibson was the uh, was actually the author. And his house that he wrote these stories out of in Greenwich Village, New York, 
After he moved out, people were reporting hauntings within that house. Paranormal investigators came out and uh, several people thought, that, well, maybe it's a Revolutionary War soldier. But basically what they were seeing was this shadow entity walking around the house, uh, primarily in the hallway, but other areas of the house as well. Well, Gibson and actually John Keel in his book, The Mothman Prophecies, it has nothing to do with the Mothman, but at the very beginning of the book, he mentions this story. Um, but what they believe is that Gibson had put so much energy into writing his shadow stories that it actually became this sentient being within his house that all this energy flowed out of him and formed up within the house as the shadow and is still there to this day so what i think a true shadow entity is is an interdimensional being so something that has come to us from another plane of existence so i have my website, theconnectuniverseportal.com, uh, which basically delves into uh, a lot of the concepts about how everything in the universe is connected, even these different dimensions. So I'll go back to the incident that uh, I had at Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma, in which that shadow entity slammed into that door, but the door didn't move. So what actually happened? So what I think happened is when I walked into that kitchen, that maybe that shadow entity saw me as a ghost, maybe it saw me as a shadow, I don't know. But I certainly scared it. It saw me as a something, and I scared it because it took off running, and boom, it slammed into that door. What I think happened is on its plane of existence, that door opened wide, it blew right through that door, and it ran right off into... The, the dining room area. But since I'm in a different dimension and this is all working on a different wavelength, different vibration, that I couldn't see that. I, I could not see the door in its dimension move. However, sound works on a different wavelength. And so that was able to traverse the different dimensions. And so we see this play out in... Um, in the Alaska Triangle, if, you, if you've seen the first episode of that television show, when we talk about the missing Douglas, that how it may have disappeared into a portal, but we heard some of the radio chatter uh, come back. This was back in 1950, so we, as in those people back then, not me. But the radio, but radio chatter came back. It was kind of indiscernible, but it disappeared into a portal. How did that happen? Well, sound works on a different wavelength. And so I think that's what was happening here. I actually witnessed some sort of person or being in another dimension that actually blew through that door. We don't have time for a lot of these other types of, of concepts, uh, but there's also the idea that some of these shadow entities are time travelers, um, that they have somehow figured out, well, two ways. One, uh, you have people that purposely or uh, know how to time travel, that they know how to uh, move between time and space and they're coming off as a shadow to us. Some may just actually be time slips. We're not getting a full depiction of the person 
as we're witnessing another moment in time, and they're only coming off as a shadow. Uh, some of the different doppelganger stories, I'll share this one real quick that was shared with me last year, uh, where there was a young man, and uh, when he was little, that he had walked into the kitchen of his house. And there in the middle of the kitchen was this tall, dark hooded figure standing by the kitchen table, scared the boy to death. He went running out of the room. Years later, he's in the kitchen and he's just making a sandwich at the kitchen table. He happens to be wearing a hoodie. And all of a sudden in the doorway, he sees this short shadow person about the size of a child walk in, stop, and then all of a sudden take off. And he realized in that moment, oh my gosh, that was me as a child. I saw myself older wearing the hoodie, but he could only see it for whatever reason, however it was resonating or vibrating in that moment as a shadow. Some of these may actually be light beams, um, that the light emanating from them is, because we only see within a certain uh, spectrum, a certain range that the light could be so bright or beyond our reach that we're only seeing the inner being, which may be a uh, kind of a shadow form, and we're not actually seeing the light. Just, I don't recommend this, but if you stare at a light bulb too long, what happens? You just see a silhouette of the light bulb. Don't do it. Uh, astral projections, uh, the idea of, you know, if somebody's able to astral project and send their consciousness and their energy into, uh, into another room, could be, you know, another state away, whatever, uh, that, you know, how does that look to the person who actually witnesses it? Do they see a shadow? Some people report seeing like a shimmer man sort of thing. And then real quick, are they evil? Well, I think I've given enough stories here that some are, some are nice. Some definitely are malevolent. Most are just rather benign, just kind of, you know, watching, observing, not really doing a lot. Um, of course, I shared the story of, you know, the woman being caught falling down the stairs. The other one that I was going to share is, um, it was a little boy. He, uh, he was very, very sick. The mother kept seeing this shadow walk into his room. She thought it was a harbinger of death and this kept happening. So they go to the doctors. They've been running these same tests over and over and over again for a long, long time. Well, all of a sudden, this, this one time when they're in the doctor's office, he turns his head as if somebody's whispering into his ear and turns back around and says, you know what, let's run these other tests. They discovered that he actually had something else. It wasn't what they originally diagnosed him with. And it's something that they were able to treat. Never saw the shadow entity again. The woman swears that even though she couldn't see the shadow in the doctor's office, that it was the shadow that it actually whispered into the doctor's ear at the test to run. That's her. So a case of a benevolent shadow entity. So also the idea of the simulated universe, which we're not going to be able to uh, get into, but what would shadows be within that? This is where you can find me. Um, MikeRicksecker.com, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, ShadowDimension.com. So uh, please check out my docuseries, The Shadow Dimension, running free on Tubi TV, as well as a couple other streaming platforms, but Tubi is the best one to check it out on. And my book, a walk in the shadows. Really thank you very, very much for joining me this afternoon.